Hi, my name's Lindsay and I'm a member here at Restored Church. If you're new here, welcome. Thanks so much for tuning in. We believe that church is not an event, but a family you belong to. So we would love to offer the opportunity to connect with you. I'd love to be saying this in person, but circumstances have us doing otherwise. So if you'd like to learn more about our church or we can help you in any way, please visit our website, www.RestoredTemecula.Church. And then you can just click on contact there. We also have a mobile app with resources, including the Sunday messages, information about upcoming events, and other ways to connect. You can download our app at Apple and Android app stores. With that said, thanks so much for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy the message. All right, so this morning we are actually wrapping up a series that we've been in since we've been able to meet again in person in this space. Uh, what is it? Sometime in March. It's all a blur. Okay, it's all a blur. But either way, we're wrapping up a series that we've been going through called Reset. And it's this idea of coming out of the craziness that 2020 was, like what kind of disciples are we going to be? What kind of men and women are we going to be? What kind of disciples are we going to be? What kind of a church are we going to be moving forward? And we've said we're renewing our devotion to Jesus and his ways. Okay, 2020 was so disorienting. And one of the the outcomes of just how disorienting it was, was we started to kind of like develop new habits as people. Everybody did. Some really, really great new habits were developed, like maybe spending more time with family and kind of helping to put things into priority. But one of the things that we, that we said for most people that was more challenging was just basic discipleship to Jesus. So we've said, hey, this whole, this whole kind of new chapter that we're in, new season that we're in as a church, we want to renew our devotion to Jesus and his ways. And we talked about how we're going to do that through renewing our devotion to our two discipleship strategies as a church, We talked about gospel community. If you're not familiar with gospel community, it really is a community of people centered on the gospel, not their hobbies, not their socioeconomic background, not anything else other than their experience of the love and the grace and the goodness of God through Jesus. So when a community is centered on the gospel, it it operates in different ways. And frankly, I'll, I'll I'll be frank with you, it is... I would argue the most glorious form of a series of relationships you can possibly have on planet earth. Gospel community, growing in our discipleship to Jesus together, okay? Following Jesus together. Gospel community, that's discipleship strategy number one. And discipleship strategy number two is what you're doing right now. Gathering together as the church. Not, you're not at church, you're with the church. The church is not an event, right? Coming together to offer God various offerings, praise, uh, worship, prayer, service, et cetera, et cetera, okay? Those two discipleship strategies we implement as individuals and as a community to grow as followers of Jesus. We would say a disciple is someone who's learning. That's what disciple means. It means learner. Someone who's learning to enjoy Jesus, obey Jesus, and operate like Jesus in every single area of life. So renewing our devotion to Jesus and his ways in those ways, in those two strategies. And we also spent some time going through our six values as a church. Okay, every human being, all of us, you, you have things you value in your life. Okay, sometimes those values on paper Sometimes they match in practice, but oftentimes what happens is we have these kind of like, I value these things on paper, and then when we examine our lives, when we examine our behavior, when we examine our calendar, when we examine our budget, those things don't always translate from paper to practice. And so we've been going through our six values as a church. Uh, The first one, gospel. 
We, 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 we value the gospel above all else, that the good news about who God is and what he's done in and through the life, the death, the resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, his son. And we say how, like, Christianity is not religious advice about what to do or not to do. It's really great news, good news, about what God has done and what that means for us and the freedom that we get to experience in every area of our life. We talked about the gospel. We talked about how the church is the family of God, not a business, not an event, not a building, right? You're not at church. You're with church. You can't attend people, okay? <clears throat> and we talked about how the, the, our third value of dependence, where we're people who, who look to the Spirit of God, who depend on the Spirit of God and not on self. So the difference would be like, Lord, I need you to guide me, to lead me, and, and instead of I'm self-reliant and I figure it out and I do it and I try really hard on my own, Okay? We talked about mission. Remember, Maria came and spoke to us, which, well done, guys. You guys raised over $45,000 to give away to missions work in India. Like, bravo. Incredible. Our tiny little church plant. I'm just so, so thrilled. But the mission of God, not, not waiting for things to come to us. Come. Come to be attractive. No, attractive is great. But there's a, there's a mandate in the same way that God the Son came to earth to seek me and save me and to seek you and save you, that we do that with the people in our world around us. Mission. And the last week, Herrick talked about this, the, our, our fifth value, multiplication. That we're not, we're, If we're going to reach the nations with the love and the grace of God, his kingdom coming, it can't just be like adding people to a thing. No, it's about equipping the saints for the work of ministry and seeing not just disciples multiplied, but gospel communities multiplied and churches multiplied, ultimately so that God's kingdom would advance all over the earth. And this morning, your boy Paul Greaves is going to come up in just a minute and he's going to talk about renewal, our sixth value, okay? And here's what's cool about us. I can't think of a better weekend than Juneteenth weekend to talk about renewal, this idea of God's kingdom coming, his rule, his reign, his way. I don't want to take too much out of Paul's message, but all that being said, about, I don't know, months ago, I approached Paul and I said, hey, I want you to, I want you to talk on renewal. And he looked at me and he's kind of like, all right. And if you know Paul, that's kind of his, 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 his like vibe. He's kind of like down for pretty much anything. He's a fairly courageous dude, I think, or <laughs> just not as uh, smart. Maybe he's just like, yeah, I'll do it. Like, let's go. <laughs> but there's a courage in him that I think is absolutely amazing. And so I'm like, hey, it, it, the reason I asked Paul to preach and to speak on renewal is because getting to know him over the last three years, God's hand is on this man's life in a very, very special way. And specifically in this area of seeking the renewal of all things. You'll hear a little bit in just a bit about how God is taking him on a really cool journey in this regard. But for those of you guys that don't know Paul, Paul's not a perfect man, but he's a man of integrity. He's a man of honor. He is, he's, a, he's a great husband. He's a great father. He's a great friend. He's a great brother. I trust him. Herrick and I both, we trust him. I can't, I'm so excited for you guys to hear this message that he's been working on. It's stellar. It's inspiring to me. I'm, I, I'm confident it will be inspiring to you. So without further ado, will you give it up for your boy, Paul Grieve? All right, so you get, you get situated. You get comfortable. I'm going to pray for you. you get your, that pulpit belongs to you today. Okay. I'm going to pray for him, and will you join me? Father, we recognize that you are the giver of gifts. 
and Paul's a gift to us. Not what he does or his talent or his skill or whatever, but who he is, who you've made him to be. You filled him with your spirit and watching him develop and grow and strengthen the gifts that you've given him, stewarding the gifts that you've given him has been inspiring and he really is leading our community in some tangible, practical ways through this. So would you bless him now? Would you bless us now? Thank you for this man. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Love you, dude. Tons. Thanks, man. All right. Well, this is a different view than I'm used to here. Um, let me start out by saying it's a, real, it's a real honor to be with you guys, especially on Father's Day, Juneteenth weekend. It's, it's really cool to be able to be up here and share a little bit with you. Um, before I even get into it, Herrick preached on multiplication last week, and I feel like this is kind of it in action. So I want to say thanks to you guys. I know it's Honestly, guys, it's way easier for them to prep a message and just do this themselves than it is to like work with somebody who's never done this before. Um, you should have seen the outline I brought in the first time we queued this thing. Um, I also thank you to you guys because um, when he talked about multiplication, he talked about stretching out of your comfort zone and pushing into new areas, and that's what this is for me. I've never done this before. I've never preached before. I was joking at the adult hang. I've never even really led a Bible study before, so you guys are in for one. Here we go. Um, <clears throat> when Tom came to me, when we were chatting like two years ago, he said, hey man, have you ever felt like called to, to teach at all? And I kind of just was like, honestly, man, no, not really. Um, I would be open to it if God put it on my heart, if God put it on my heart for sure, but I've just never felt like called into that. Fast forward like a year and a half later, probably a, a couple months ago, he said, hey, we have um, the church's six values coming up and, and we have the renewal one. Um, are you interested in teaching and renewal? And I was kind of like, this is why I just got that look on my face. I was like, dude, God has done too much in my life. I've seen too much over the last 10 years where if I said no to that ask, I feel like it would just been super disobedient. So I'm, I'm really stoked to be up here. Thanks for having me up. Uh, I'm going to share a little bit about this. I'll call it a crazy journey that God's had me on like for the last 10 years. So Essentially, I was born downtown Seattle, city kid. That would become relevant in a minute. Um, played sports my entire life. Baseball was my life. It was everything. I travel all over the country doing showcases and playing ball and all this stuff. And by the time I went to college, uh, I'd been recruited and I showed up for college baseball down here in Southern California. And I was like, tired of the rain. I was like, my, my feet were still wet, you know, from, from Seattle weather, uh, and I was so excited to start on this new journey of baseball in Southern California, and it was like the dream, and when I showed up into the coach's office, I said, hey man, I'm reporting, you know, I got a scholarship and all this stuff, and he, he, the coach goes, who are you? I was like, um, Paul Grieve, I'm like the guy with the scholarship, and you recruited me and stuff, he said, no, I didn't, I didn't recruit you, I don't even know who you are, so... What had happened is the coach had been the, the coach that recruited me had been relieved, uh, and a new coach came in and he recruited his own team. And so there was no scholarship money, there was nothing there. Um, and he said, "You could walk on if you want, but um, there there is not like a scholarship spot for you." So for a kid whose whole identity had been this game, like all growing up, that was a pretty big shocker. God's creative, though. So. The track coach happened to share an office with the baseball coach, and the track coach overheard us talking. He said, you got a 90-mile-an-hour fastball? Why don't you come try this sport that I got over here? Um, and he said, yeah, it's called javelin. The way it works is you take a six-foot spear, and you throw it as far as you can, and that's the whole sport. 
And I was like, any self-respecting 18-year-old kid will say yes to that. And so the next four years, I did spear-throwing javelin. <clears throat> had an amazing time. Those of you guys who know me really well, you know I did a second sport. That's going to remain unnamed for now. <clears throat> get, get a beer with me later if you want to talk about that one. <laughs> um, I studied accounting in college. Uh, at 18, 22 years old, I was getting out of, the, uh, was getting out of the, the college vibe, and I just couldn't even stomach being a college athlete and all this stuff. I couldn't even stomach sitting in a cubicle for the, like, the next 30, 40 years of my life. And so I started praying about what was next. Uh, it really felt like I was supposed to do something other than accounting and business. And so I thought I was going to do like either Peace Corps or do missions work or something like that. And over the course of this one crazy week, I had three dudes that I really respect all independently and randomly kind of say like, you should think about um, serving in the military. I was like, first guy, you know, city kid all the way. I was like, nope, no thanks. Second guy says it in the same week. It's kind of like, uh, what was that all about? And then, you know, and the third guy said, I was like, okay, God, I guess I'll pray about it. And I guess I'll go. Um, During this time, Lindsay and I had started dating in college. Um, She always made two rules. So she always said, there's two things I'll never do. Number one, I'll never marry somebody in the military. And number two, I'll never move back to Temecula. So <laughs> we, we could see how those both worked out. <clears throat> uh, I, I joined the Marine Corps. I'm kind of like one of those people, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it all the way. So um, I, I found myself in about 2008 in sniper training school in the backwoods of Virginia. And one of our exercises is literally you lay down in the woods and you're, you're observing something, so you try to move as little as possible for three days straight. And if any of you guys have spent time in the backwoods of Virginia in the summer, um, there are lots of things crawling around on the ground. And one of those things is ticks. Um, ticks carry this really unique, occasionally, they carry this really unique disease called Lyme. And so when we came out of the field, and it's not just me, we're pulling off like 50, 60, 70 ticks off of our body. I mean, in places you don't even want to know about. And so we'd have tick, buddy tick check, and you'd have to go through the other guy and like pull off all these ticks. Well, I had one that hit me right in the thigh that had Lyme disease in it. And so if you've ever experienced it before, it starts out as this little thing, and it kind of becomes this like increasing bullseye. And Lynn's was like, that thing's getting big. You need to go get it checked out. And so sure enough, I had Lyme. And shortly after, I started getting these weird health complications. I started getting like a lot of arthritic symptoms, brain fog, fatigue, just feeling like crap for a 22-year-old kid who'd done sports my whole life. Um, That experience really caused us to start paying more attention to the food we'd eaten. I was a 1980s, 1990s kid like a lot of you. I love my mom, but you know, she did the best she could. We didn't really think about it. We just ate McDonald's and everything else that everybody else would have done. Um, but as we started to get into the food thing, we started actually like feeling a lot better. And it was the first time it ever connected the food that you eat can actually impact the way that you feel. And so from that experience, we were kind of sitting around looking for good food, trying to find good stuff in the grocery store, having a hard time. And um, we were joking around when we were out at Tom and Debbie, Lindsay's parents' house for Easter one year in 2012. And we were joking about getting some chickens for the backyard and doing like this backyard flock. Everybody was joking except for Rob. Rob sitting in the back. <clears throat> he disappears from the room. He comes back like 10 minutes later and he goes, hey guys, I just ordered 50 chickens. They're going to be here in two weeks. <laughs> we're kind of like, what the heck are you talking about, man? We've never even really raised a dog before, you know? 
And sure enough, the Lord had plans. Um, those 50 birds, which were meant to be just a hobby, became 100, and then they became 200, and then they became 500, and this little tiny hobby became like a little tiny business. Um, in 2013 or 2014, the better part of the back three rows back there all moved into one 1,700-square-foot house uh, out in the wine country and um, just put all the money back into the business and tried to get it to grow as much as possible. And 500 became 5,000, became 50,000, and pretty soon we found ourselves with this, like, Seattle, again, city kid, never thought about food, definitely never thought about farming, um, but God had put me into this farming thing. And it was like, what the heck? And the way that we were doing things really felt like it was aligned with the way um, the creator actually intended it. And so it was just this really rad experience. Fast forward to now, it's kind of continued to grow to the point where it's, it's really unique. So we got on the radar of one of the biggest chicken companies in all of America. And they said, wow, the way you guys are doing things is really interesting. Um, and we said, it was not, it's not our idea, it's creation, you know? So... They came to us and they said, well, we want you to basically come on and join us and show us how to do it. And so now we're doing this farming thing across the country. Right now I'm probably responsible or stewarding something like 100,000 chickens at any given time. And we're having conversations with this company about how to renew and restore a million acres, literally like one million acres across the U.S. And so that's just this crazy, like, why did God pick me? What, what, was, the, what was even the point of that? But I'm, I'm going to try to today connect some of what God's been showing me through this, like, renewal and restoration um, in, in farming to the renewal and restoration that can apply to you guys. So go ahead and get your Bibles ready. Um, turn over to Genesis 1, and let me pray for our time real quick. <clears throat> Lord, um, special to be up here on this day. Thank you for the opportunity. I, I love the people that are here. It feels like family. I pray that this can just be a, a family conversation, like Mark was saying, a family conversation, just like we're sitting in the living room. Um, God, I pray that it's your spirit that comes through, not my own. Um, I pray this wouldn't be any kind of a performance, but that you do have a special word um, to share with some people here today. God, in your name we pray. Amen. All right, here we go. So Tom preached on renewal like two years ago, and it was a really impactful message for me and for my work and kind of like what I do. I don't know if any of you guys remember it, but what he started out with was um, he broke down the Bible into four acts. I, I pretty much grew up in the church. I pretty much like, I feel like I understood the Bible and the flow, but this was really different and unique, um, the way that he presented it. So he, he broke it down into four acts. It was so simple, but so helpful. So I'm going to use this to kind of frame up the renewal piece. But starting with Act 1, let's jump into Genesis 1, um, 26 to 31. This is Act 1 here. Then God said, let us, which is us, God saying that, that's the Trinity, make man in our image according to our likeness. They, the men, will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. God also said, look, I've given you every seed-bearing plant on the surface of the entire earth. 
and every tree whose fruit contains seed. This food will be for you, for the wildlife of the earth, for every bird of the sky, and for every creature that crawls on the earth, everything having the breath of life in it. I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he would, had made, and it was very good indeed. Beautiful verse, man. For a farmer now like myself, it's an impactful verse. And some I've really enjoyed. Like I read it over and over, and it's just like it's really fun. A couple notes that, that are almost like tangential, but when, when it talks about subduing and ruling, it sounds like kind of harsh language almost in, in English, I know, but it's really more about like stewardship and care. That's really more of what it's talking about there. And the key is it was very good indeed. So creation was perfect, man. Like imagine living like that. God provided so much abundance in that environment and so much creativity. I was just like, I was going to do an exercise, like hold out your hand, just stare into like your, your palm of your hand, like hold it out like that. One handful of soil. I don't know if you've ever heard this, just a handful, like healthy soil, you know how many living animals are inside of one handful of healthy soil? 24 billion living creatures inside of one little handful of soil. The creativity of God, insane. Almost insane enough to create new arteries, right? It's like, what the heck? I felt like I was supposed to say, don't ever put a cap on like, the creativity of the Lord. You know, There's still so much that we don't know. We like to put all these letters behind our names and PhDs and all this stuff. Man, there's still so much that we don't know about creation. That's act one. That's creation. It's amazing. We all kind of know what comes next. Um, Turn over to Genesis 3. God clearly gave Adam and Eve everything they could ever need or want or wish for, but but, but they got to the point where they thought God was holding out on them. I don't know if you've ever been there before. I wrote my notes, silly Old Testament. Nobody ever thinks that anymore, right? God's holding out on me. They believed the serpent's lies. They ate from the tree. They sinned against God at that moment. They were instantly and immediately humans separated from a holy and just God. Perfectly just God requires payment for sin. It's not because he's mean or rude. It's because he's perfectly just. So look at the stark contrast between Genesis 1 to Genesis 3. Just two chapters later. It says, the ground is cursed because of you. You will eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. You get broccoli instead of peaches. <clears throat> you will eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground, since you were taken from it. For you are dust, and you will return to dust. I loved when we were queuing this up what Herrick said. It's almost like they were in perfect partnership with the Lord in creation. And they like walked out on the partnership, almost like walking out on a marriage or like walking out on a business, but even worse, you know? So act two, the fall. Christians live under this reality of the fall for thousands of years. And in order to get right with God, they had to do this host of like religious duties and tasks. All that took place until act three. So act one, creation, act two, the fall, act three, the single most scandalous disruptive and revolutionary event of all of human history. It's like the pinnacle of mankind. It's where the God of heaven took on the creator, took on human form in the way of Jesus. He sent his son to live this perfect life, zero sin. He's killed when he's in his 30s. A lot of you guys are in your 30s. uh, As a payment for the sin of every man, woman, child who ever lived after that. I'm a numbers guy. Again, accounting, I can't help it. I was looking this up. 
So the number of people that have ever lived, something like 120 billion people. I think about my own life every hour, how many times I sin, even if it's just in my head or whatever. And I think of that times my whole life times 120 billion. And it's like the magnitude of this one person's life that covers all these sins. It's like, you can't imagine 24 billion creatures in your hand. You really can't imagine the magnitude of his life. So it's one of those things that act three can never be understated. It's the kind of thing where the more we can understand it and comprehend it and internalize it, the more profound it kind of like becomes. And this is the gospel story. It's redemption. It's unwarranted favor. It's grace that only comes from faith. And there's literally nothing that you and I can ever do to earn that. Um, That's act three. That's redemption. Really, really cool. Act three is like the coolest, you know? But here's the thing. I'm convinced that far too many of us live like the story ends at act three. Like there's nothing after that, you know? Um, Turn over to Revelation 21. Friends, there aren't three acts. There's actually four acts. And so many of us, including myself, um, we fall prey to this idea that like the Christian journey is just kind of like conversion, eh, a bunch of white noise, like blah, 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 and then death. And then we get to go be with Jesus. That's like not the reality, man. The in-between stuff is not irrelevant. Go ahead and take a glimpse at the end of where we're going, act four of God's four-part story. Revelation 21, one through five. It says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, pain, no more, because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, look, I'm making everything new. Look, I'm making everything new. God's agenda is the renewal of all things. It's about bringing back the way that God designed us to act one, which is like total perfection. It's literally like completing the cycle, like bringing it all the way back. We live in this weird spot, right? So we're not really in act four yet. Like that's where we're heading, but act three is done. So we live in like this in between. We're in between like act three and four. And the crazy thing is he doesn't have to, but God's like kind enough to include us, to invite us, to partner with him, to accomplish that agenda of renewal of all things. We're going to spend some time unpacking this, but the renewal of all things, when it talks about the renewal of all things, I think that should be taken literally. When he says all things, literally means like all things. Nothing's off limit, guys. There's no relationship. There's no industry, no task, no city. There's no street, neighborhood, no product. Nothing is exempt from God's agenda of renewal of all things. And the renewal has to start in our heart, right? It's always, it has to come from the overflow of the Lord that we get to be Christians partnering with God in unique ways to like bring about renewal everywhere. All right. We're breaking. That's, a, that's the Bible in four parts. I hope it was helpful for you. Um, when I was thinking back on it, I was just like, man, that, that really did change the way that I think about the Bible. And it's like creation, fall, redemption, and renewal. Bringing it back. It's really cool. Now, I can't help it. I'm going to jump back into farming. Uh, David, if you could cue up that one slide. Um, God's used agriculture as this object lesson for me for the last 
10 years. We started 2012, almost 10 years now. Um, and specifically, he's highlighted this idea of like three different approaches to agriculture. So I think we got the slide up. There the three different ways. I, I almost feel like every farming process or farm can fall into one of these three ways. So you have the degenerative, you have sustainable, and you have regenerative. Yeah. Hopefully this is a cool and helpful thing. Um, let's go ahead and cue the first picture. So first up, um, kind of hard to see, but what's going on on the left, just so you guys know, on the left we've got a feedlot. Um, if you've never seen a feedlot before, you've probably smelled one before if you've ever driven around the country. That's probably about thirty to 50,000 cattle on just an area of a few acres. Um, all those little tiny dots on the left are individual cows living in this dirty, kind of weird, gross environment that smells really bad. Um, on the right, that's an industrial monocrop. That's typically the way that most of our crops are grown. So in nature, there's lots of variety and abundance and, and diversity. And in modern agriculture, all things are grown to like one crop. So if you go out to the Midwest, you'll see a field, a field of corn. 10,000 acres, it's just corn. You go to another field, it's like just soybeans, nothing else, you know. Um, all this kind of went back to like the Industrial Revolution. Um, Industrial Revolution was frankly awesome for lots of different things. If you think about planes and trains and automobiles and the amount of progress that was made during that time, like the Industrial Revolution was, was really rad. And there was this hyper focus on creating cheap and abundant um, food supply. And I think to that goal, it was like completely accomplished. Like we do have way cheaper food. It's something like we used to spend 40, 50% of our paychecks on food. Now it's something like 10%. You know, just 60 years ago, 70 years ago. The flip side of that is we used to spend like 10% of our paycheck on healthcare, and now it's like 30% of our paycheck on healthcare. So um, the hyper focus on producing cheap food has resulted in a lot of unintended consequences. This idea of feedlots and monocrops. You can't raise cows all packed in so tight to each other without, I mean, you, you could do it that way, but you're going to have to use antibiotics. You're going to have to use drugs. You're going to have to figure out how do we take this antibiotic kind of infested manure and waste and get it out of here somewhere? Where's that all going to go? There's a lot of side unintended consequences from it. It's an extractive model. We're just trying to get as much as we can, as much profit, as much, you know, pounds of food as we can out of the soil. And soil health ends up being depleted year after year. So every year it's like degenerating. It's getting a little worse or maybe a lot worse totally reliant on, and it's not just animals, it's plants too, um, drugs, fertilizers, pesticides, herbicides, fungicides, because we're going out of the way that God would set it up. Um, it's food that's cheap, and it looks nice, but it seriously lacks nutrient density like it once did. Um, this is actually super interesting to me, but I'm a dork. It's been studied intensively. So just in the last 50 years, um, they've looked at different crops and the nutrient values of the different crops. Just take the potato, one of the most consumed foods in the world. In the last 50 years, the average spud has lost 100% of its vitamin A. Potatoes used to have vitamin A. They don't anymore. Um, critical for good eyesight. 50, 57% of its vitamin C and iron, which is key for having healthy blood. 28% of its calcium essential for building healthy bones and teeth. 50% of its riboflavin, 18% of its thiamine. That's just the stuff that we know about, again, right? 
And why is that happening? Like, why are we losing all this nutrient density? It's because the soil is what feeds plants, right? So as the soil gets less and less healthy, you're going to end up with less nutrient density in your food. The same thing, though, guys, that's happening in the soil can happen in our own lives if we think about degeneration. Like degenerative systems and approaches to agriculture, rejecting God's ways results in brokenness. Just like degenerative relies on poison and creates food that lacks nutrient density and has this bad soil inheritance that we pass on, all that has parallels in your life if you kind of stop and think about it. This is the fall, right? So tying it back to the four parts. This is like the ground is cursed because of you kind of stuff. It might look really good on the outside, right? So when we walk through the grocery store, it's all shiny and nice, and we see all the like fancy claims and labels and all that stuff. But deep down, it lacks nutrition, and it passes on a bad inheritance to the next generation. Christians, we struggle with degenerative parts of our life every single day. But frankly, most of us know um, that degenerative is something that we want to avoid. Like overall, it's something we kind of know, like degenerative is bad. The second approach, though, so we talked about degenerative, sustainable, and regenerative. So the second approach is almost a little scarier to me. It's sustainability. Sustainability sounds great, right? Like sustainable agriculture. Like that's something that's promoted all over the place. Sustainability is the idea that you're never making anything worse. That seems like really good on the, on the face at least. But here's the thing with sustainability. It's kind of like treading water in a way. Like you're never making anything worse. That's cool. But sustainability inherently, you're never making anything better either. So you're kind of like stuck in this in-between place, trying to have as little impact as possible. And I'm in these farming conversations all the time. How do we have as little impact as possible? It's like, no, man, that's the wrong way to think about it. We see it in nature all the time. Um, You're either degenerating or you're regenerating. Staying perfectly in the middle is like this myth that's literally impossible. I was going to show you a picture of a sustainable farm, but I can't because I don't think there is one. Like, you're either one or the other. Spiritually, guys, I think this is a lot of, like, um, where the Western church kind of is. We don't think God really cares about the daily workings and what we're doing, like the details of our life. We think ministry, like what Tom and Herrick do, is really the only important job. That's the only thing God really cares about. Uh, We think that conversion, like we're saying, like Act 3, we think that conversion is like the last chapter before we just die to go be with Jesus. We get stuck in this idea of Act 3 where, yeah, it's awesome, right? Like, we're saved. Um, We have a spot reserved for us in heaven, but we feel like this sort of unimportant, pointless emptiness about what we do for our life. And I didn't write it, man. Um, The Bible has some pretty harsh language to share regarding this idea of sustainability. So Revelation 3, 15 to 16 It says, I know your works, that you're neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were hot or cold. So because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I am going to vomit you out of my mouth. (laughs) I don't know what the translation is, but it seems pretty bad. Um, For the last 50 years, at least in Western agricultural systems, there's kind of been like these two options. So either you're degenerative or... You're shooting for sustainability. Um, There's this, I'm going to say really loose quotes, a new movement in agriculture that's actually really old. Indigenous people like totally had it. The Eastern farming systems totally, you know, uh, not Eastern America, but um, 
old farming systems had this. They understood this. But it's this idea of regenerative agriculture. So it's the idea that farmers can actually act as stewards and can be a net positive to the environment while still creating like these nutrient-dense food for people. And um, this is honestly the area where God's like really rocked me for the last several years. So go ahead and flash up to the next picture. Sweet. What animal is that? Yeah. Buffalo or bison? So I think it's the same thing. <laughs> um, regenerative agricultural systems are exciting to me because they're modeled, uh, the, the industry would say it's modeled after nature. You and I all know that that means it's actually modeled after creation. Um, the American Midwest bison, this is so rad. This is, this is the kind of stuff I nerd out on all the time. In the early 1800s, in the U.S. alone, there were 60 million bison mostly roaming like the center of the country. Um, the way that these animals work, I don't know if you've ever seen a bison herd before. I would love to see when Native Americans talk about the sound of like herds of a million bison running by, deafening to the ear. Um, the way they work, they herd up. That's their only protection against predators. They eat the grass that's on the ground. They poop naturally. Um, and then what happens after that? What happens after the grass is gone and they poop on the ground? They move. They move to the next spot. And then that ground gets a chance to rest. That manure ends up being the best fertilizer that the world has ever understood. The, the brilliance in the system of herding, eating, pooping, moving, and resting is like insane. It's this idea, regenerative now is this idea of like biomimicry. How do we take the brilliance of nature and try to build farming systems that are like modeled after that? It's also funny because this crazy rich black fertile soil, anybody from the Midwest or born, like spent time in the Midwest? Cool. So this crazy rich fertile soil that um, it's like black soil they talk about in Iowa and some of these places. How do you think it got like that? The bison, right? Long time of these bison spending out regenerating the land, building up soil health year after year. Now we're there industrially extracting the nutrients that creation's amazing system kind of like provided us with. But that's where all the corn and the, the soybean monocrops are grown is where the bison grazed. It's actually kind of interesting. Um, go ahead and next picture. So if we all got in a bus and drove, I don't know, about um, 45 minutes to the east, this is our farm. Um, in San Diego County out in Warner Springs. We're really blessed. We started out on two acres uh, in the wine country and then we kind of like, God gave us more and more. We got 10 acres and we got 40 acres. Now we're on this ranch that's almost like 1,200 acres um, of that. We don't farm all that, but hopefully someday. Um, in 2016, we got out to this farm and it was like moon dust. It wasn't even, I wouldn't even, I definitely wouldn't call it soil. I would barely even call it dirt. When you stepped onto this farm, your boot would go down like a foot into this dusty, powdery substance. The reason why, on the left, it was farmed in conventional industrial potatoes um, for the last 60 years. So they would extract all the nutrition they can. They would fumigate the soil. They would just pull as much nutrients. And they actually leased it to us, I think. Sorry if they watched this. I think they leased it to us because it was like devoid and it wouldn't grow anything anymore. So this is actually after rains, sunshine, like good weather on the left that's all that the ground would grow, barely just a few sparse weeds here and there. <clears throat> we literally felt like we were able to partner with God in the renewal of this land. We used animals, chickens, and cows in the way, like eat, poop, move, herding. Um, and we looked at that as our, as our temple. We were able to do that. And this is on the right. Just three years later, 30-plus um, species of plants are growing now 
We see wildlife everywhere. Just the other day, I looked up, and I'm not kidding, there's like two bald eagles. It's deer all over the place. There's so many like butterflies and bugs, and it's like, it feels like abundance, you know? It feels like literally that like circle back, right? So renewal, bringing it back to the way that things once were. There's also side benefits. It's not just nutrient-dense grasses and plants and chicken that we can grow on this land. Um, any of you guys that geek out on environmental stuff, you know, like global warming, all the stuff that they talk about, whatever you think about that, the reality is there's way more carbon in the atmosphere than there ever was before. Like that's science, that's scientifically fact. Um, scientists have tried to figure out, they spent billions of dollars. How do we sink the carbon that's in the atmosphere? How do we sink it? How do we get rid of it? How do we get it out of the atmosphere? Again, man, creation, so brilliant, so interesting, grasslands are all these little receptors that can take carbon from the atmosphere and sink it down into the ground. So in three years, four years, we've sunk something like three million pounds of carbon from the atmosphere back into the soil. Water holding capacity, now that that farm, just on like 160 acres, can hold 30 million more gallons of water than it could three years ago. So you think about stuff like drought, like the impact of, it's not us, it's just us looking at the way that nature designed the system and trying to copy that. Friends, you could kill the picture now. Um, Do you see the direct parallel between the soil and our heart? Healthy soil produces nutrient-dense food. Again, healthy soil produces nutrient-dense food. It's resistant to disease and drought. It's not reliant on external inputs like fertilizers and pesticides and all these synthetic things. And it's not just good for the crop itself. It's, it's externally benefit, like purifying the air, sinking atmospheric carbon, creating beauty for the neighborhood. In the same way, an overflowing, uh, a heart that's overflowing with the love of Jesus is ripe for partnership with God in the renewal of all things. Jesus dying on the cross and saving us gives us this crazy level of peace and confidence that nothing else in the world could ever offer. And the renewal literally has no limits. So it has to do with our sexuality, the way that we parent our kids, the way we manage our homes, the food that we eat, our businesses, the way we go on vacation, the entertainment we consume. Super practically, what does renewal literally look like? So this is after Act 3, and it's not quite Act 4 yet. What does it look like? It might look like quitting your job as an accountant and doing something crazy and psychotic like farming. Or it might look like pulling a herrick and quitting your job to go into full-time ministry. It might. I don't want to like count that off. I don't want to write it off because honestly it might. But most likely it won't. Uh, Let's jump over to 1 Corinthians. I think there's a common misconception, maybe even a blinder that um, happens a lot. And it's that we have to totally, necessarily have to like totally uproot our lives or 180 or change direction in order to partner with God for renewal. Here's what the Bible says. I know that it's CSB, but when I went to switch it, I was like, the NLT, I felt like hit it a little better. So you read that, I'll read mine. It says this, each of you should continue to live in whatever situation the Lord has placed you and remain as you were when God first called you. This is my rule for all the churches. I don't think you have to go out and map out a five-year plan to partner with God with renewal. Maybe that could be part of it, but I'm, I encourage you guys to think about what can you do 
on the drive home. What can you do while you go to pick up your kids to partner with God in renewal? He cares about everything, man. The best question I think you can ask, remember those bracelets that would say, what would Jesus do? Um, Tom had this. I I think it's really helpful. The best question you can ask, what would Jesus do if if he was me? In my own unique context, where I live, with the sphere of influence that I have, with the capacity that I have, particularly with my own unique gifting and talent and ability. Here's the kicker, guys. Every single thing matters to the Lord. Jamie, where are you? I thought of you this week. If you guys don't know Jamie, she's a good friend of ours. Uh, She's in our GC. She cuts hair here in town. It's easy for her, somebody else, to say something like, oh, yeah, I just cut hair, you know? But I would submit this to you guys. Cutting hair is just as important as full-time vocational ministry in the renewal of all things, right? Why? It's not just, also, I think this is a misconception too. It's not just about the rad conversations she probably has with some of the people that she's cutting. It's literally the haircut itself that the Lord cares about. Have you ever had a great haircut? I'm losing my hair, so it's not as fun as it used to be. But have you ever had a great haircut where you're just like, man, you know that feeling when you just feel awesome? I would say, I would say that that's Jamie partnering with the creator to literally be his hands and feet to give people a taste of how the Lord sees him. A new creation made in his image. Uh, I thought about my wife with this one too. She's an interior designer. You guys have seen her work. I'm sure you've experienced it. It's amazing. Interior design though, it can be this industry that's really fraught with like vanity, overspending, performance, trying to impress people, not necessarily her, but like her clients, you know? It can be a really sad space. Um, But with God, with a renewal mindset, with like partnering with the creator for renewal, interior design can literally like foreshadow New Jerusalem. It can create beauty and wonder that's a taste of heaven on earth. Justin, I thought of you. When you got those kids together, oh, I'm just getting some kids together for soccer in the park, you know? Man, dude, I think the renewal mindset is so much more than that, you know? In a time when kids, this is not anybody, I just think as a society, we kind of like forgot about kids, you know? 2020, hard year. We were all thinking about other things. The kids got left in the background, man. Justin said, you know what? I'm going to be Jesus' hands and feet. I'm going to show those kids that they're not forgotten. They're deeply cared, deeply loved. It's partnership with Jesus to bring about renewal. Guys, there's so many examples. I think of Kevin and Lisa with Common Ground. I think of the mission behind Hito Pack, Vinny. I think of craftsmanship, Harrison. Where's Harrison at? I think of the craftsmanship and the bread, dude. I think of intentionality. I know she's not here, but Jules doing the kids' choir stuff. I think of all of you teachers in the room. There's so many examples of you guys partnering with Jesus to bring renewal to our city and beyond. And honestly, if it's going to be a church value, like a family value, it has to be an individual value too. That is by far not an exhaustive list, guys. <clears throat> One sec. Are we okay? Time? I did not start a thing. It could be like two hours. I wouldn't even know it. <clears throat> We're getting towards the end. Um, friends, what about you? Let's do a quick exercise. I want you to think about the important areas of your life. Make like a top five list or something like that. Think about sexuality, which really just means your marriage. 
or your singleness. Think about your finances. Think about your vocation, your job. Think about parenting, your kids. Think about your relationship with the Lord. Even think about stuff like your hobbies and entertainment. What approach are you taking in these areas? Is it degenerative? Like, do you need to literally, like, turn away from the way that you're doing some of those things? Is it sustainable? The myth of sustainability. I'm just getting by. I'm just surviving. Or are you literally partnering with the Lord, like regenerative, renewal? Are you perfect? How are you doing if you're not sure? I challenge you to kind of like think about this, even during worship. If you're not sure, are you doing things God's way? Or is it degenerative? Are you you turning? Are you doing things not God's way? I know that's like an oversimplification. Um, A good way to know if you're doing things not God's way, if things are generally getting worse year after year, especially in your heart. Think about it like the soil, just slowly producing less and less nutrient-dense food. Now I think it's really important to take a time out, back up for a minute. Let's throw out the exercise that we just did. Maybe you need renewal not in an area of your life, but the whole of your life, like your entirety, your being. If that's you, I have amazing news for you. Um, There's an absolute reality to the fact that Jesus died specifically for you, not just for everybody in the room, but literally you. He's completely crazy about you, he cares about you, and he wants to be in relationship, true, deep relationship with you. There's 100% grace and forgiveness to cover the degenerative parts of your life. The work is done. Act three is complete. The work of redemption is finished, friends. It's the best news in the world. Now all that's left is to receive his free and abundant love. If that's you, I would love the chance to talk with you today. It's nothing weird and nothing mystical. Um, And I really hope that shame or fear or guilt or pride, the common emotions that would stop us from doing um, God's will, would get in the way of the Lord renewing your whole life, man. Maybe you're here and you recognize, when you think through that list, just more degenerative practices than you'd like to admit. Honestly, the same good news that I just shared is the same good news for you. Jesus lived perfectly in your place. That idea of the perfect scorecard, right? So if we could all go through and say, dude, we're perfectly regenerative in every spot. None of us are. We're not perfect. It, it, he was the perfect scorecard. That's credited to us even though we 100% don't deserve it. And why? It's because he loves you. He's the only one who ever lived out a perfect record in perfect partnership with God. So regardless of where you find yourself this morning, Jesus died to redeem and renew you and to invite you to partner with him in the renewal of all things. I'll read that one more time, and we're going to call the band up too. It was one of my bucket list items. I was like, Tom, I'll preach, but can I call the band up? That would be cool. So while they're coming up, I'll say this again. Regardless of where you find yourself this morning, Jesus died to redeem and renew you and to invite you to partner with him in the renewal of all things. I'm going to share a story while we wrap up. It didn't work, dude. Dang it. Did I say it wrong? <laughs> so, um, I'm going to finish with this story. I actually didn't know this story until I started researching for this message, but I think it's pretty cool. So, 
take yourself back 100 years. Um, North Carolina, a young black dude is born in the 1920s in North Carolina, saxophone player. He grew up in the church, um, but he faced some severe tragic loss as a teenager. So I think in the course of one week, he lost his father, one of the cousins he was super close with, and he lost like both of his grandparents. Extreme tragedy for this kid. Uh, he joined the military at like 15 or something before he was really supposed to. Um, and they realized this guy is rad at the saxophone. He's amazing. He started to get recognized. As soon as he got out, he started touring around North Carolina and started getting recognized. This guy's got it. This guy's got the goods. <clears throat> there we go. <laughs> As his talent got more and more recognized, he started to get picked up by some of the bigger acts. If you're a jazz fan back in the day, he started getting picked up by guys like Charlie Parker, Dizzy Gillespie. These were like his idols, man. He got to tour with the people that he'd always look up to his whole life. His talent and drive was so strong. There are stories of this guy. He would perform for two hours, then when they would take a break in between sets, he would still be practicing the whole time. We didn't even go to the bathroom or anything. He's like, a, he's like a man possessed to figure out the saxophone. When he was 29 years old, he got the ultimate big break of his life. The guy he had always looked up to asked him to come join his um, quintet. And so he got to tour with the legendary Miles Davis. Unfortunately, he fell into some hard times. Maybe it was part of the tragedy that he faced early on, maybe not, but he started to fall into performance, started putting all of his worth into this idea that like what he does is his value. He started drinking more and more, he started doing some drugs more and more, eventually heroin grabbed him by the neck and he was just stuck in it. While he was touring with Miles Davis, there's stories of this guy that couldn't even show up to gigs with the guy that he'd always wanted to play with his whole life. Incredible talent. Couldn't even get to the gigs. Sometimes he'd be up on stage and he'd fall asleep in the middle of the show. And in 1957, at the age of 31, he was fired from the job that he'd wanted his whole life to tour with Miles Davis. He describes shortly after that the spiritual awakening that he had when he actually heard the voice of the Lord. And he realized that all these years he'd been playing for all the wrong reasons. He'd been using his talents and his skills and what God had given him for his own fame, for his own fortune. And he realized, man, I, I I'd absolutely royally screwed this up. And so later on that year, at 31 years old, he went back into the studio for himself. And he recorded an album and his liner notes are absolutely famous. So he said this, in the liner notes to that album, so again, this guy's faced a lot. He's been through a lot. But this album that he was recording for himself, he writes this, this album is a humble offering to him, the Lord. It's an attempt to say thank you, God, through our work, even as we do in our hearts with our tongues. May he help and strengthen all men in every good endeavor. Anybody know the artist? John Coltrane. The album, A Love Supreme, which even the name of it, man, A Love Supreme. The album went platinum. It's considered one of the best jazz albums of all time. It's literally a worship album. It's the dude on a saxophone. The whole album has three words, A Love Supreme. 
There's no words. It's him on a saxophone praising the Lord. It might be one of the all-time most listened to worship albums ever. It's been listened to countless millions of people. Atheists, Muslims, Jews, Christians, black, white, male, female. There's something that really jumped out at me with this story. When John had his spiritual awakening in 1957, he didn't do some 180 and go, I'm going to start a nonprofit or I'm going to go into full-time vocational ministry. What he did is he picked up his saxophone. He didn't even switch instruments. He picked up his saxophone, the same saxophone that he'd used for fame and power and greed and everything else. This time it was to bring glory to God. So friends, what I want to close you with this thought is what is your saxophone? What's God graciously inviting you in to partner with him in the renewal of all things? Let us pray. God, I thank you for your creativity on display. I pray that we'd never limit that in our minds, that you care about every single thing. You care so deeply about every single person in this room. There's not one part of their life that you think is unimportant and that you don't want to partner with on renewal. I pray for total renewal of the spirit and of all the different parts of our life. Thank you for this time. In your name, amen. What's your saxophone? So strong, man. Thank you, Polly. Do you not realize that God is inviting you to partner with him in the renewal of all things? We talk about it a lot, not just like going through life, but actually living it. That's his heart for you. I want to call the ministry team up, if you guys would, maybe kind of congregate over here. Uh, We're going to end our gathering time in about 15, 20 minutes. And for the next 15 or 20 minutes, we're going to respond to God and his goodness. Okay? Uh, Paulie did a great job of stewarding his time and stewarding this message that God has written on his heart. It's like, really, it's a testimony. It's a beautiful thing. Thank you, Paulie. And it's amazing. And I'm so proud of you, bro. The hero of the story is King Jesus, who renews and redeems everything. We know the end of the story. We know exactly how it's going to play out. What we don't know for you and for I is what's today going to look like. So here's what I want to invite you to do. I want to invite you to stand if you're able. And we're going to press into the Lord, man. Some of you, you've been spinning your wheels. It's time to actually move forward and progress in the purpose of your life. Sustainability. It's not, not going to work, man. Degenerative is not going to work. 
but God has created us to partner with him in the renewal, the regeneration, the restoration of what? All things, but that's great, but specifically his kingdom, creation. He's the king. Everything's happening his way and everything's flourishing. And then we kick him off the throne and we take the throne ourselves and it gets real bad. It's the renewal, the restoration of him as king. That means his way. Literally, his way, his rule, his reign. So what I want to invite you to do is I want you to press into the Lord and maybe even open your heart to receive from him two things. I'm going to offer thanksgiving for Jesus offering his body and his blood to renew and redeem all things. And two, open your heart to hear from the Lord to the the specific things that he might be inviting you to partner with him to seek the renewal of all things. In other words, maybe maybe, just maybe he might tell you what your saxophone is. Okay? Um, And these wonderful trustworthy people off to the side are available starting right now and through the end of the gathering to pray for you, to minister to you. Some of you are like, your, your heart is stirred and you just don't know what way I, I need some. Go to them. Don't miss out on God wanting to minister to your heart this morning, okay? Will you guys serve us, lead us, bless us? Thank you. And we'll be up in a bit to close, okay, guys? So one of the things that we... We just have to be passionate about and have to be faithful towards is like, God, what are you doing? Um, the last thing that I want to do, that I want for any of us to do is, is get in the way of hindering what he's on about. And so um, there's a couple things that were highlighted, just like God's putting people on our heart that I think he wants to minister to. Um, obviously, the team is, is here to pray some more before we close things in just a minute. But, Eric, will you come up and share something? Uh, oftentimes, what God will do when we open ourselves up to him, oftentimes, uh, the shepherd speaks to his sheep. Jesus says, my, my sheep have ears. They, they hear my voice. And I don't know if you know this about God, but he's, um, he has this agenda. It's, it's like the renewal of all things. Uh, and he wants to renew each and every one of us in every single area of our lives. And in the, in the best way, the way that a loving father would, he, uh, he highlights certain things that he's aware of that he, he wants to touch. He wants to mend. He wants to heal. He wants to minister to through the power of his word and his spirit. Yeah, so I was, uh, in response to the message during worship, I'm just asking God the question, what do you want to renew? Jesus, what do you want to renew? And it came as clear as day, marriages, marriages. Like Tom said, he wants to renew every area of life. So this isn't just, there's so many applications for the message today, but I think he's highlighting right now marriages. And specifically, as I'm praying and I'm trying to listen to the spirit, I think there's something that he wants to do in marriages where maybe a husband and wife aren't quite on the same page. And it's leading to troubles. It's making life really difficult and hard. And maybe today, as Paul is preaching, as we're worshiping, it's kind of coming to mind like, oh, we're on the path of degeneration. Um, there's, we're heading towards disintegration in our marriage. If that's you, there's a couple of quick things I just want to say. 
because I know it can be really hard to come up and respond to something like this. We want to create that environment, but I just want to make it really safe. I think, first of all, you have to understand, biblically speaking, marriage is a picture of the gospel. So Satan, the enemy of God's people, hates marriage, hates it with a passion, wants to destroy it because the husband stands, represents Jesus and the wife represents the bride and this beautiful relationship of trust and love and honor, all of it, on and on. Satan hates it. So I just want to make it really safe. Like, if you're struggling in your marriage, it's not weird. In fact, it'd be weird if you weren't. So that's the first thing. Satan hates the marriage because it's all about Jesus and the healthy expression of it. It makes so much of Jesus. It's ridiculous. Second thing I want to say is, again, to try to normalize this, God opposes the proud. Paul talks about that a little bit, he mentioned that, but he gives grace to the humble. So the choice is yours, really. It's always our choice. He dignifies our choice. He, he honors our choice. So you have a choice whether you want to respond or not, and that's okay. But if this is, if you feel like this is for you, I'm going to be right here in the front, and I would love to pray for you. This is for you. I think he wants to meet, Jesus wants to meet with you today and do some deep work of renewal in your marriage. Sorry, one last thing real quick. I think this is your water bottle, Paul, that you left up here. It's cool. Um, No, this is an object lesson. Leave it. Uh, I feel like Jesus was saying, come and take a drink. Come and take a drink. He wants to refresh. Like those dry places, he wants to refresh and restore and renew. So yeah, if maybe uh, marriage has just been especially challenging for a plethora of reasons. Please come receive prayer from either Herrick or the team. Um, just so you guys know, the, the, the mature Christians aren't the ones who are watching the people who have, have struggles in their life go receive ministry from the Spirit. The mature Christians are the ones that are running up there going, God, I want to meet with you. Okay, so just so you know, like, let's flip that paradigm on its head. Um, one more thing, Mike, come up, dude. <clears throat> many of you guys, uh, some of you will know Mike, many of you won't. Me and Mike go way back many years, Porter Book. Uh, he's going to share something really quick just for the sake of time that we feel like God might be highlighting in an area of renewal that he wants to see some people set free. Okay, thank you. Hi, so my heart's going really quick right now. Um, uh, Mike, um, new to the area, Bethany and I are praying about communities to join, but you know, yeah, from hearing the, the message, I just kind of felt something in my heart that I wanted to share something very personal inside my life that I thought was potentially practical. Um, so, um, it's been recovering alcoholic for a long time now. Um, and when I had first quit drinking, uh, I had been looking up to my brother, um, as or one of my brothers, as somebody who had been sober for a very long time. That was the rock that I that I stood on, and I looked at as, you know, he can do it, I can do it by God. Uh, this was really before. I mean, I kind of had like a neighborly relationship with the Lord, but not really a full relationship with Christ. Uh, and. Uh, there was a point where I had a number of months sober. I had some, some work going, some, some, some growth going on. Uh, and I went to go visit my brother, and I was like, and I was talking to him. I was like, you know, it really helps being around you and seeing you, you know, and seeing what it's like to live a sober life. And he goes, Mike, you're strong enough now. I think I can tell you I'm not sober. And it was just like one of those moments where this void goes through. And I'm like, the, using the phrase, like, you know, like uh, imagine the table with all the plates and all that. And the tablecloth gets pulled off from underneath. Everything goes flying up in the air. I was flying up in the air, and I didn't know where I was going to land. And I suddenly realized at that moment, the only true 
rocky, the only true rock that I can stand on is Jesus. The only, you know, you can look to all these people who you feel are just really solid, uh, but the only true solid person that you can stand on and you can be with and work with as these times that you're going through uh, and through rejuvenation inside your life is Jesus. He's there with you. Um, and I just want to pray for everybody that you rely on him in those moments. Yeah. Hey, listen. It, yeah, beautiful. Thank you. If somebody's let you down, and it's rocked your world. There's a person who won't ever let you down. That will be the foundation for your soul to be stable, secure, and at rest. If that's you, God is shouting for your attention this morning. Mike, would you be down to pray for them? Okay, just hang out off to the side and someone can find their way to you. That's Mike, blue shirt, blue polo. He wants to pray for you. I want you to see, guys, God's heart as he's coming after his people. The most mature Christian and the prodigal who's as far away, guess what? They both have something massively in common. The most mature Christian and the farthest off prodigal, they both desperately need the love of God, the grace of God. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your passion, for your heart to renew all things, especially us, every day, every moment. All of us are products of the brokenness inside us and the brokenness around us and the brokenness that's come in contact with us from the brokenness of others. And I thank you that your agenda has been unwavering. How patient are you? How long-suffering are you? can't imagine watching people that I love make destructive and devastating decisions and how that affects each other and that's like your reality every day but yet your love and your faithfulness and your grace and your mercy and your care doesn't move an inch we praise you this morning and we ask spirit would you speak to us continue to motivate us through with the truth and the love of the gospel of jesus for us that we might see that partnership renewed each day and join you in the renewal of all things. And that starts with the soil of our heart. Let us receive and bear good fruit. Please, Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen. Love you guys very, very much. Beautiful morning. Happy Father's Day.